want to get into the study. Um, last week we talked about um, apologetics, and we focused on answering the question, what is apologetics? And uh, you, you've heard the, the slogan, um, the best offense is a good defense. And uh, if you wanted to title that, I guess this could be a part one and part two of that title. The best offense is a good defense. And the word apologetics is from the passage in 1 Peter 3.15. It says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope or a defense. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. And... We live in a day where Christianity is under an attack like it's never been under before. And I'm afraid that most Sunday pew setters could not defend their faith if it's attacked. Why do you think the Bible is God's Word? Can you articulate why you believe that? I really believe in sermons like this. For some people, the light goes on. Because I think there's a lot of people, especially in the Bible Belt, that have maybe grown up in church all their life, but they've never really questioned, they've never really understood, well, why do I believe the Bible's God's Word? And the reality is, it's just because you were always told that. But does that make it true? Just because you were always told that, and it very well may, you may have been told by trustworthy sources, your mom, your dad, who loved you. But that doesn't make it true. I imagine in certain parts of the world, there are some great loving parents that are telling their kids things they believe to be true. That very well may be lies. So what about you? Is Christianity true? Or is it a lie? Well, I know it's true. I know Christianity is true. I know the reason I've believed and anchored my soul to the person of Jesus Christ. I have looked at the evidence. I know Christ personally. He knows me. There are things, though, that are evidential about our faith. It won't save us to have all the facts and to have all the head knowledge to understand this to be true. That's not what saves a person. But as we'll learn today, why apologetics is important, it's important because it can be used and is used, and I believe is being used in a mighty way today in the day in which we live, to convince people of the evidence that Christianity is true, that the Bible we call, the book we call the Bible is God's Word. You know, you've heard me use this all the time, and, and, and when we talk about absolute truths, uh, the world agrees two plus two is four. I don't care which part uh, of the world you're born in, if you can do any simplistic math, you can add it up, and two plus two is four. 
So whether I'm speaking to some kids in China or whether I'm in Pakistan or, or, or whether I'm in Bonga Bonga, is that really a place? I've heard that said a lot of times. I'm sure it is. It, it exists in my imagination, right? Well, no matter where you find yourself, two plus two is four. We don't dispute that. Eh, sometimes you'll get some arrogant person who really just wants to, well, technically, you know, you know what, two plus two is four. We know that. We can add it up. One, two, plus these two equals Spock's handshake or sick. No, it's one, two, three, four. I can do the math. I can do the math. We can do the math, people. God has not expected us to take a blind leap of faith. Well, I'm just going to trust this is God's word just because my mama told me. That's why you're believing? No, God has given us some serious evidence that we should look at. We talked about last week. Jesus Himself said that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. We need to be diligent, rightly dividing the word of truth so that we're not ashamed. This morning, I want to continue this focus on apologetics, giving a defense, giving reasons for why we believe what we believe. And I hope for some of you that light does go off. That says, you know, why do I believe this? And I need to really seriously start examining my faith And as Paul said, examine myself to see if I'm in the faith. Because the end result will be a stronger faith. And I can tell you, if you get grounded in truth and you get strong in what you believe, understanding it to be true because you've done the math, you won't be so easily shaken when the storms of life come. Or when someone challenges what you believe and why you believe it. And that's what God expects from us. Why apologetics? Why apologetics? We need to, point one, defend the faith. We need to defend the faith by giving. If you're doing a subcategory, by giving. What do I mean by giving? Well, we need to give a defense, as I just quoted, 1 Peter 3.15. Now, as we study this, I want, you to, I want you to hear some key words when we go. We're going to hop to a lot of passages this morning because this is a topical study. But I want you to think about some of the key words because when the Apostle Paul writes and when, when the disciples write and when Jesus spoke, there are certain words that you'll hear that, to me, uh, reminds me of the importance of giving this defense. Notice, turn with me in Acts, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Notice in the book of Acts chapter 9, And listen to what it says here. Uh, 
in verse 22. In Acts 9, verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving... Key word, underline that. Proving that this Jesus is the Christ. What? He proved that this is the Christ? Well, how did He do that? You see, Paul, or Saul, who who became Paul, increased in strength. He grew in wisdom. He grew in understanding. He knew who Christ is. And that compelled him with passion to give a defense. To give proofs of what he believes. And that convinced people. It convicted people. And the Holy Spirit used that testimony to draw people. Christian, that's what God wants to do in your life. Are you proving the facts of Christ. One of the things we're going to do at this apologetics conference, and by the way, let me take a time to, to do a shameless plug here again. Mary Margaret and Mary Lewis worked diligently on this book. Isn't this nice? This is what you're going to get when you come to the conference. By the way, conference is free. We're going to take a love offering at the end of the day, but the conference is free. Not only are you going to get a nice booklet with all kinds of good, helpful study information... You're going to get a lunch. We've also got some books from Chuck Swindoll, um, David Jeremiah, um, Answers in Genesis, Creation Magazine. There's a lot of resources that have come in that that, the first ones here, we'll we'll get some of those. um, But information that's going to feed your faith. You know, we, we talk about the Scriptures. What about the person of Christ? What if I, you know, what if somebody asks you, well, how do you know Jesus is God? Prove to me Jesus is God. Notice in Acts 13, if you'll turn over, Acts 13, Another key word, when you notice here in Acts 13, verse 43, Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded, key word, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Do you hear these words? Defend. Prove. Persuade. It's okay to use these words when it deals with truth. And in fact, I would make the argument, make the case, that that's exactly what Paul does in his ministry. Acts 17 is probably the biggest text proof to make a, a case for apologetics. Mars Hill. Uh, you think about it. He, he reasons, these are the philosophers of the day. All the, the people that are, that are 
throwing out the questions of what is life? What's the meaning of life? What's important? What, you know, all these kinds. Of, this is where this exchange would happen. And the Apostle Paul actually even uses um, a, a poet of the day and quotes him. He uses some of the tangible, some of the things, uh, the evidence of the day, if you will, to bring in the conversation to talk about the things of God. He also talks about the unknown God. Well, let me tell you, you worship an unknown God. I know you have an idol here for an unknown God. Let me tell you who the God is, the true God. And one of the things we hope to do in this apologetics conference next weekend is to help you to be able to do some of those things. How do we take some some current discussions, topics, things going on in the world today and bring that front and center to engage people so that we might share our faith? It's important. Uh, You know, I was listening this week to an apologetics radio station and where they actually, you know, will have people call in and they have different people there to discuss certain subjects and just amazing. I mean, it was like some of the, some of the discussions that they had. And um, uh, it, yeah, if you're not careful, it will hurt your brain after a while. I know Ravi Zacharias is probably one of the leading apologists and philosophers of our day. And he travels to, uh, he gets invited to places like Harvard and, and Yale and, and, and even Georgia Tech. And, um, you know, and he will speak in some of these, um, some of these forums of the religious departments and he'll debate and, and engage the audience. And uh, somebody likened it to a, a slushy brain freeze uh, whenever you listen to, to, uh, day, uh, when you listen to Ravi Zacharias speak. But again, that's not what this is about. You remember last week, uh, it's not just so that you can have a bunch of head knowledge. But I know some of you here today, you've got some heart questions. And nobody's ever give you the answers. And that's why you're not sold out and surrendered to Jesus Christ. The excuse, the real excuse is you, you enjoy your lifestyle the way it is. But there's something about honest questions when they're answered can't help but compel you to want to line up under the truth. When you get the answers to who Christ is and what he's, and begin to really understand that God is, is amazing and powerful and, and desires a plan and, 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 a, and a, He wants you to follow Him in His ways. When you begin to understand what His way is, His will for your life is, it's powerful. It's convicting. So I want to give answers to your questions so that you become stronger. So that you recognize God for who He is. We need to defend the faith by giving defense, by giving proofs, by persuading. Uh, look in Acts 17. Turn over to Acts 17. We just talked about it, but look at this, these specific passages in Acts 17, verse 16 and 17. Here's what the Word of God says. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned. Underline that word. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. 
Do you see what Paul's doing? The Spirit of God stirred him. He sees all the idol worship. He sees all these people that are just blind to the truth. And the Spirit of God provokes him so that he begins to reason with them. When's the last time you reasoned with somebody about the truth of God's Word? You've got co-workers, you've got neighbors, you've got family members, you've got friends. And even as Paul, people that just happen to be there, there's people that happen to be there in your path every day of the week. When's the last time you really begin to engage them, to reason with them about where they are, what they believe? You see... The why of apologetics, the why it's important for you and I to be grounded in the truth, to give a defense, is so that we can have a conversation of substance and reason with people. Let me me explain to you why I believe the Bible's God's Word. Let let let, Let me explain to you why I think Jesus really did rise from the dead. Let me give you some evidences on why I think this is true. Reasoning. God expects you to reason with people. Is God not a God of reason? Doesn't He say in His Word, Come, let us reason together? He's talking about in regards to our sins. Though our our sins be like scarlet, He will be willing to make us white as snow. God's not an unreasonable God. He says, come, let us reason together. We too should be a people uh, uh, that we're able to engage in an intellectual conversation, actually be able to have a a substantial uh, discussion over the truths in giving a defense for what we believe. That brings up my next word, discussion. Look in Acts 19. Flip on over there to the next page. Acts 19, verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly. He spoke boldly for three months, reasoning, underline that word, reasoning and persuading, there's that word again, concerning the things of the kingdom of God. We miss this, don't we? When we go through scriptures. Yes, look... I know, it's an act of God. It's the Holy Spirit wooing. We're never going to uh, argue someone into the kingdom. I get that, people. That's not what we're talking about. But you're checking your brain at the door if you don't put feet to your prayers and just expect God to do everything. That's like having a knife in the drawer and expecting the knife to cut my steak. It ain't going to happen on its own. You need to use Your hand. Guess what? Church, we're the hand of God. He has chosen the foolishness of preaching to reach the lost. He expects you and I to open our mouth and talk to people, to to give a defense, to prove the the evidence uh, of Christ and who He is. And and one of the uh, classes you'll be hearing about is the best apologetics is your life. You want to prove to people? That's one way, but it's not just the way. There's a lot of people living clean lives out there, moral lives that don't know the truth. You've got to open your mouth. You've got to reason with people. You've got to discuss these things. 
Some of your translations may have that word there, discussion. He discussed with the people. Notice, uh, in Jude, we're also told this. In, in Jude uh, verse 3, Go to Revelation, hang a left. Jude, verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. We need to defend the faith by giving defense, by giving proofs, by by giving persuasion, by giving reasoning, arguments. We need to discuss and we need to contend. We need to contend for the faith, saints. Are you in the ring? No, we're not talking about a, a, a fight where you're just trying to win the argument. But we are talking about a fight for souls, are we not? Absolutely. Well, we need to... Why apologetics? We need to defend the faith. We also need to um, deliver the fallen. Let, let, me, let me stop, though, for a second, because I want to I I read this quote. By the way, this article that I'm going to read from, a lot of the information I'm going to share with you today, you're going to get in your booklet. Boy, that was another plug for the apologetics conference, wasn't it? Um, but this is one of the, one of the uh, articles. Listen, this is by Matthew Slack. And, and this is what he says in regards to defending the faith. Most don't know much about their faith. Let alone be able to describe the Trinity. Let me stop for a minute. Alright. We'll come out there and... Uh, Pick on somebody. Maybe be one of Harold boys. Give me a defense for the Trinity. I was picking. Don't, don't say out loud. But what if you were to ask, if you were asked that? What if somebody says, explain the Trinity to me? Are you ready to give a defense? What about the two natures of Christ? Somebody give me the two natures of Christ. Explain the two natures of Christ. Well, he also... Well, well, what about his physical resurrection? His physical resurrection. Somebody give me, give me a defense for Christ's physical resurrection. Because I'm a Muslim and I don't want to... We don't believe Jesus rose from the dead physically. We don't believe that. So, what say you? Uh, Well, my preacher said it was true. My mama told me. (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that, right? Your mama lied. (laughs) You know, it's probably what they're going to fire back at you. And you will be fighting. You talking about my mama? So. What about even be able to tell the difference between justification and sanctification. Some of you, what's the difference? I don't know. 
What's the difference between justification and sanctification? Some of you thinking you'd need a vacation when it comes to those terms. Probably so. Vacation Bible school. (laughs) Thank you, Randall. I'm here all week. Appreciate that. Apologetics is, is, is important. It helps to define and defend what the truth of the gospel is. Did you hear that? He says it is apologetics helps to define and defend what the truth of the gospel is. That's why we need it. So we need to defend the faith. We also need to point to deliver the fallen. We defend the faith by giving a reason for the hope. We, we deliver the fallen by going. Look with me, if you would, in Philippians. If you look in uh, Philippians, by the way, uh, if, if somebody taught me this once. If you're having a hard time finding um, Philippians, it's go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ah, you'll never forget that one now, right? There's our first apologetics lessons right there. Just kidding. All right. Look at Philippians. Chapter 1. And let's begin our reading. Verse 7. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. You know, Part of Paul's responsibility was for a defense of the gospel. Saint, part of our responsibility is for the defense of the gospel. And the gospel is the good news. You've heard it said, the first part of gospel is go. We're to go to the lost. We're to go to those who are overtaken in sin. We're to preach the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ has come to set you free. How are we doing in delivering the fallen? Because they truly are. We live in a fallen world. That's why this gospel message doesn't make sense to people. Their minds are blinded. What are are their minds blinded with? Culture. They've bought the lies. I just got to get a good job, get a good education, get a good job, provide for my family. Retire. That's what life's about. Guess what? Your mind's been blinded if you think that's what life's about. That's not what life's about. Now that may be part of life, but your life's more than that. Your life's about giving God glory. It's about glorifying God. The chief end of man is to glorify God. That's your purpose, to glorify God. You cannot glorify God unless you know God. Let me rephrase that. 
Because even those who will experience the wrath of God, that still is for His glory. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that's our responsibility, saints, is to take that message of hope and and, and try to reason and persuade and prove and and, and beg and, and urge and plead with people that this is true and you need to look at it. Because if you don't see it, you will step into eternity and eternity is forever and ever and ever. And there is a literal place called hell. There's a literal place called hell. You say, well, I don't believe that. But that doesn't change the truth. You can believe two plus two is five. All day long, it doesn't change the truth. God said there's a heaven and a hell. Jesus spoke more of hell than than a lot of other subjects in the Scriptures. Hell is real. And just because we don't want to think about it or we don't want to talk about it because it it just doesn't make us feel good, doesn't make it go away. That is a reality. It is a literal place. And it's forever. Why are we not urging and reasoning and proving and begging with the loss? It's the truth. We need to deliver the fallen by going. Um, Paul knew he had to give a defense of the gospel. Listen to this. Listen to this this point from the uh, article um, from our booklet. Apologetics is an attempt to keep people out of hell. God takes sin very seriously, and He will punish those who have rebelled against Him and are not covered in the blood of Christ. As Christians, we should be motivated to present the truth of salvation in Jesus. We should not sit idly by and ignore the dilemma of the unbeliever. We need to tell them that sin is real because God is real and that breaking God's law has a consequence. Sin will all, since we have all sinned, since we have all sinned, we cannot keep God's law perfectly. Also, we cannot undo the offense to an infinitely holy God because we are not infinite or holy. Did you hear that? We cannot undo the offense to an infinitely holy God because we are not infinite or holy. The only thing left for us is to fall under the judgment of God. But God has provided a way for us to escape that judgment. That is why God became a man in Jesus. He claimed to be God. John 8, 24, 8, 58. Write those passages down. Look it up sometime. Jesus did claim to be God. Compare it with Exodus three fourteen. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. The reason the Jews took up stones to kill Jesus was because He made the statement, before Abraham was, I am. I am was the name for God. In the burning bush, when He spoke to Moses, who should I tell him? Sent me. I am. So when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, you talk about throwing some gasoline on the fire, that ticked those people off. They wanted to kill Him. 
He claimed to be God. Jesus bore our sins in His body on the cross, 1 Peter 2, 24. By trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we will be spared from the rightful judgment of God upon the sinner. Salvation is not found in Buddhism. Salvation is not found in Islam. Salvation is not found in relativism. Salvation is not found in oneself. It is only found in Jesus. We need to not only defend God's word and truth, but also present the gospel to all people so they can escape the judgment to come. Turn to 1 Corinthians in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, we're talking about delivering the fallen by going. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, and by one born out of due time. Do you hear what Paul's doing? He's given an apologetics answer. He's given a, a defense. This is one of the most powerful pieces of evidence on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think with me for a second. If your brain's checked out, check them back in and follow me. What is Paul saying? He's saying, okay, folks, I'm not the only one that's seen Jesus. Cephas seen him. The apostles have seen him. He appeared to over 500 people at one time. The resurrected Jesus Christ, physical body, seen, heard, ate with, talked with, over 500 eyewitnesses. The same guy that, that days, many days earlier, had been beaten, nailed to a cross, speared through, buried in a tomb. They saw. They touched. They heard. They witnessed this. And you know what's so amazing about this evidence? He says there are still people alive today. So even when Paul wrote this, there was a good number of people that were still alive today. You know what this means, don't you? It means if the early people of those days wanted to dispute the claim... Even people who didn't believe in Christ, they could have disputed it. There would have been all kinds of manuscript evidence. There would have been so many documents that would have said, these are lies, this isn't true. The government would have, would have said it's not true. People would have known it was not true. 
No, that's not what we have. We have manuscript evidence. We have testimonies. We have changed lives. We have even the Apostle Paul saying, if you don't believe me, there's still some people around today. You can just go ask them. Um, how many of you were here in the area? I guess there was something, a nuclear bomb or something almost went off. Who, who, who knows what I'm talking about there? And LaGrange fell out of an airplane or something? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, a couple of you. See, now, I wasn't... It was somewhere near here, right? Goldsboro or somewhere like that? Okay. Okay. But, but you guys were around during this time, right? You know the story. Well, you know what I'm saying. You know the story. Some of you... Um, uh, in fact, I think it was Miss Layden gave me an article, news article, uh, about it. But anyway, the point is... That could be disputed if it wasn't true. Some of you people were here. You know what I'm talking about. There's been stories written on it. That it happened. But you think about the evidence of this. We're talking a man rose from the dead. Claiming to be God. Claiming He is the only way to salvation. That's pretty strong evidence. I don't know about you, but that should make my heart pound to want to at least investigate it. Maybe there's something there. Maybe it's true. And you see, when Paul wrote that, he was sharing the Scriptures. He was sharing sharing the Gospel. He was giving a defense for why he believed what he believed. He knew who he had seen. He knew who he had trusted his faith to. How about you? We need to defend the faith by giving. We need to deliver the fallen by going. And we need to to destroy the fables. We need to destroy the fables by growing. Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 and following says this. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Second Corinthians 11. Turn over there. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, this is verse 3. But I fear, Second Corinthians 11:3. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, 
so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And in Galatians 1.8, you don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. In Galatians 1.8, he kind of reiterates the same, the same truth. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven... Did you hear that? Listen to that again, folks. If we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. You see, we need to destroy the fables. And we destroy those fables by growing in the grace and knowledge of God. Why apologetics? Because I want you to grow, saint. I want you to grow. If you have a little plant, I know a lot of you folks are really good with plants and flowers and things like that. I'm really not. Holton can vouch for that. <laughs> if it would have been for Brother Holton, my garden would look like it looks right now. But you know what I'm talking about. If you have a little seedling and it starts to produce, and, and it's growing, and it's little, and it's pitiful, bless his heart, it can't hardly stand, and a storm comes... If, if you're not careful, if that thing's not really rooted and grounded, it, it'll, it'll wash it away. You know, the Bible warns us not to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Some of us, because we're not anchored in truth, when the storms of life hit, we get washed to this side and we get washed to that side. And you know what? God says, no, 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 no. You need to be grounded. And as you begin to grow in your grace, and you grow in the knowledge of our Lord through His Word, guess what? Those roots begin to grab hold. And that plant begins to get stronger. And as it grows, it gets stronger. As you grow, you get stronger. So that when the storms hit, you're not so easily tossed to and fro. We've got to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why apologetics? Because I think it does that. I think it, it helps you to, to come to terms of what your faith is really about, who, who it's anchored in. When you begin to look at these evidences and you begin to uh, reason and, uh, with the Scriptures and look and study, you begin to see God in ways you've never seen Him before. He opens up a revelation to you of who He is in an amazing way that all it does is just ground you even more. And it makes you stronger. That's why apologetics is important. Well, I want to... Let me give you some other reasons in regards to, to destroying the fables. These are things that when you think about the practicality of it, Look, we, we, we read in the apostles' writings and we hear about these false teachers and we think, oh, okay, well, yeah, you know. But you know, there are false teachers all around us today, probably even more so than there were in Paul's days. Listen to this. Another reason we need apologetics is because of the many false teachings out there. Mormonism. How many of you know something about Mormonism? 
Let me give you just a little brief here on Mormonism. Mormonism teaches that God used to be a man on another world. Did you know that? He brought one of his goddess wives with him to this world. That they produce spirit offspring that are born into human babies. And that you have the potential. You have the potential, according to Mormon doctrine, you have the potential of becoming a god of your own world. That's what the Mormons believe. Is that what the Bible teaches? That's what their Bible teaches. By the way, how did they get their Bible? Huh, a miraculous appearing. By the way, that uh, miraculous appearing has been revised numerous times as to what actually happened. Was it Jesus? Was it three? Was it an angel? There was many, you know, many supposed uh, descriptions of that first initial uh, gathering of information, if you will. But you know what I'm reminded of? Of what Paul wrote many, many, many years prior to that encounter from Joseph Smith. That if an angel brings to you another gospel, let him be accursed. My Bible tells me that even Satan can transform into an angel of light. Folks, we better be grounded in truth because false teachers are arising everywhere. And if we don't know the truth, we're going to be tossed. Check this out. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they teach that there's no Trinity. Now, if you can't defend the Trinity, Jehovah's Witnesses are going to eat you for lunch. And many of you know what I'm talking about because you got mad and shut the door on them because they upset you. I hope none of you turned the water hose on them. Oh, some guilty ones. I know. But they teach there's no trinity, that Jesus is Michael the archangel. That there's no hell and that only 144,000 people will go to heaven. Well, they've since changed that teaching a little bit. Because now they're larger than 144,000 in size. <laughs> Yee, we better do something quick. We're larger than 144,000. Uh, atheism denies God's existence. It openly attacks Christianity and is gaining ground in public life and schools. Islam teaches that Jesus was not God in flesh. Don't let anybody tell you, well, I think there's a little bit of truth in all religions and that they all actually work together. It's kind of like a mountaintop. And God's on the mountaintop. And there's all these paths that get to Him. But we all arrive at the same spot. What? No. But that's what people buy into. How can you have one religion saying Jesus is... Uh, the only way, and another one saying Jesus is not God and denying the claims of Jesus. Those are opposite. That's contradiction flat out. You can't have it both ways. You know? Uh, just Anyways, you guys are smarter than that. I know. Um, how about this one? It, it, it says, uh, not only Islam teaches that, uh, that Jesus is not God and that Jesus did not rise from the dead, and that He did not atone for our sins. It teaches that salvation is partly based on one's works and partly based on Allah's grace. It teaches that the Holy Spirit is the angel Gabriel. 
You don't believe me? Get your Quran out and look up Surah 297 and 16102. It, it teaches that jinn are, uh, are unseen beings. Jinn, J-I-N-N, are unseen beings created from fire. And that Muhammad was greater than Jesus. This is all in Surah, the book Surah, 51, 56, 15, 27, verse, uh, chapter 55, verse 15. Even within the Christian church, there are false teachings. We can see that from both within the Christian church and outside of it. False teachings are bombarding believers and non-believers all over the world. You don't think there's false teachings within the church? Turn on your TV. Right? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's time to get grounded. It's time to grow in God's grace. We've got to defend the faith. We've got to deliver the fallen. We've got to destroy the fables. Listen to the rise of immorality in America. I'm almost done, folks, I promise. But listen to this. The rise of immorality in America is a threat not only to society but also to Christianity. This is a serious issue because an immoral society cannot last long. The Barna Research Group's statistics show that 64% of adults and 83% of teenagers said... Moral truth depends on the situation that you're in. Moral truth depends on the situation you're in. Is that what determines truth? Your situation? So, I don't have any money. I'm broke. My light bill's due. I'm without a job. I guess, you know, because of my situation, stealing that money from my neighbor is justifiable because I'm broken. If I don't pay and put food on the table for my kids, then you see the problem? You can, ration, you can rationalize any circumstance or situation to justify is this right or is this wrong. That's not how we determine moral truth. Moral truth spelled out for us, which again, that's an argument for, for a God. You want to you you make a case for why you know there's a God? Because we all have morality. Therefore, if we all have morality, there need, there, that means there had to be someone who programmed the morality. There, you can't have moral law without a moral law giver. Uh, we don't have time to go into all that, but I'm, maybe we will in the conference. Um, 19% of the adult population believes that the whole idea of sin is outdated. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sin idea. That's, yeah, that, that went out like in 74. You know, we're so over that. That's yesterday. 19% of adults believe that. 51% believe that if a person is generally good or does enough good, he will earn a place in heaven. That's another gospel. That is another gospel. That is not the gospel Paul delivered. And so therefore, you have to conclude, if you believe this book is true, Paul said, if anyone preaches another gospel, let them be a curse. Don't let anyone tell you, don't think, folks, you're going to get to heaven by earning your way, by being good. You're never going to be good enough. We are not good. By nature, we are not. We break God's laws constantly. We will never reach God on the mountaintop. 
The only answer is if God reaches down to us. And He did in the person of Jesus Christ. That's love. That's grace. Because we didn't deserve it. There was nothing we could do to get it. But God gave it. That's why I want to live for Him. That's why I want to serve Him. He's a good God. Why apologetics? We need to defend the faith by giving. We need to deliver the fallen by going. We need to destroy fables by growing. 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 3 through 5 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And the last verse is 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3. Look in verse 15 and following. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved... Since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray.